Well, good morning and welcome back to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and I'm really happy to be back with you again. Today we're going to be talking about some stories that are near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about Jesus and Lazarus and we're going to be talking about Palm Sunday because this is being broadcast on Palm Sunday. Kind of a big deal. Now, this is a very different Palm Sunday than uh, we're used to for all those Sundays in the past, but here we are in the quarantine, in each other's living rooms or kitchens or wherever you happen to be. I've heard that a lot of people listen to the podcast, the audio-only version of this, while they're working out at the gym. Hey, do what you got to do. I'm just so glad you're doing it with us. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So let's take a minute and center in and get ready for a really interesting time. I want to share these stories with you as we share our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. Amen. So, interesting stuff going on. Let's talk about, first, let's talk about the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Now, this is in John chapter 11, uh, 1 through 44. It's a nice short story, and it's one that you know, but maybe you don't know it as well as, as uh, you will after this. There's some really interesting stuff. There's some important passages going on. This is a pivotal, mo pivotal moment in Jesus' story. It's pivotal because we see Lazarus being raised from the dead, spoilers, and we know that Easter can happen, right? This is a big deal in the advancing theology of Jesus. But also politically, a lot of people feel, a lot of scholars feel that, that the persecution and the trials and all of the terrible stuff would not have happened if Lazarus would not have happened. Jesus really ruffled some feathers and really showed people what was going on, and they didn't want to see that. They didn't want to see him. And so this is a direct precursor. This is an important part of the story. You get the idea that all of the miracles, all of the healings and stuff like that that we see Jesus doing, of course, they're all important, and each and every one of them has something to teach us. I wish I had time to cover each and every one of them in this series. But now that we've got some tools, you can go back and look at those things. They're all important, but you get the idea that, you know what, I could get the whole story of Jesus and maybe that one healing of the guy at the thing with the stuff, maybe that one doesn't matter as much. I don't need that for it to be central. But this moment is absolutely central. you got to have this story of Jesus and Lazarus. Um, there's teachings in here about how to live and how to learn and how to believe. It's a big deal. How to pray. It's in here. There's a whole thing about the way that life works. And if you really look at what happens, you have the pattern for miracles. It's almost like a recipe. And I don't know about you, but I got some miracles I'm working on in my life. I bet you do too. There's some things that you'd like to have happen. There's some things you'd like to get over. There's some solutions that you'd like to be a part of, you know? There's a miracle waiting for you just as much as you're waiting for it. Well, this is a recipe for it. 
interesting stuff all the way around. So with that in mind, let's get right into the story. Jesus and the disciples are doing their thing. They're on the road, so to speak. And uh, they get word that Lazarus is really sick and he's going to die. And Jesus basically says, guys, it's, this is not a big deal. This is, he knows the stuff. He's been in the classes. You know, it's, it's fine. Death isn't a big deal for me, he's saying in so many words. Now, we now know why, right? But at the time, maybe it was hard for the disciples to get. They don't have a great track record of understanding what Jesus is talking about, as you know. So they keep pastoring him about it. And they say, Jesus, Lazarus is really sick. And then eventually, you know the deal. They say, he's dead. You messed up, Jesus. I mean, you missed this opportunity. You could have gone and helped this guy. And now, what are you going to do? You screwed up. I mean, it's an amazing thing to think about. Um, how quickly that kind of thing happened. But. There's this line in John 11, 4, where Jesus says, this, is, this story, Lazarus' story, is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. The story is not to end in death, but for the glory of God. And it's like that idea that, you know what, it always works out in the end, and if it's not working out, then it's not the end. You've heard different versions of that because you've got Facebook too. But it's that thing, right? Jesus is saying, this does not end in death for Lazarus. That's not where the story ends. And I got to tell you, you know, and this is something that we'll talk about more when we get to the Easter thing for obvious reasons. It's so easy to stop with the, the bad news. But think about all the movies you know where at the end of Act 2, there's a terrible catastrophe. You know, you, it's the, the romantic movie about the couple who falls in love. But then at the end of Act 2, one finds out about the other's deep, dark secret, and it looks like they're going to break up. And if you walk out of the movie at that moment and you miss the whole act three where they realize that they love each other and they get back together and happily ever after, you're missing a lot, right? It's the story of the, the, the superhero who they lose their powers at the end of act two and all of a sudden they, they, there's a problem. Well, you don't leave then, right? It's like that. Every story is like that. And in a very similar way, Jesus says, look, the story's not going to end in death, guys. Don't you know any better? And then a little while later, Jesus says, look, Lazarus is just asleep. Let's go wake him up. And I love that idea. And I love the fact that, again, the disciples don't get it. The disciples go, oh, I get it. He's not really dead. Okay, fine. This isn't all that serious after all. Okay, cool. He's just sleeping soundly. We just need some dwarves and a handsome prince or something. And so then Jesus has to go back and be very clear about this. Jesus says, and I quote, he is dead. This is real, in other words. It is possible for the situation to be real and serious, but not the end of the story. 
It is possible for the situation to be real and serious and require your attention, but be fixable. You can have it both ways. You don't have to be in denial, and you don't have to dwell in the defeat. This is a really big deal. So Jesus goes to the tomb, and he says to Lazarus' sister Martha, he says, your brother will rise again. And the subtext here is, is, is almost like I read Jesus going, I don't know what everybody's so freaked out about. Haven't you guys been around this? Your brother will rise again. And here's the quote. John chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to her, it's important. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's what he says. I'm going to read that again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. There's an important moment here where we remember where we first heard those words, I am, when God defined himself that way. Remember when God tells Moses, I am has sent me. And the idea is that God just is in the eternal here and right now. God just is. The resurrection, the life, the key to that is understanding that I am happening right here and right now through the example of Jesus, through that Christ in you. But I love this concept that I think that, that people miss because I think a lot of times people go, okay, well, this is just like Jesus' calling card. He's saying, you know, I'm great. And look at how cool I am in this thing that I'm about to do. No, nothing up my sleeve. Kind of a prelude to something. And that's not really what's going on here. Because remember, this is the works I do, you shall do also, right? This is our father. This is Jesus talking, our elder brother. That line gets missed, and it's really important where he says, if you believe in me, even if you die, you'll live. And if you live and believe in me, you'll never die. If you believe in me, you might mess up. You might fail. It might not go the way you want. You might forget who you are. <clears throat> but if you believe, you'll have that failure, but you'll live again. It'll happen. You'll get over it. But if you believe and you live, in other words, if you live what's in your heart, you won't have to learn it the hard way in the first place. You don't have to know failure in order to experience success. You don't have to know pain in order to experience joy. What do you live and believe in. It's interesting. It's possible to believe a lot of things, but not do anything about it. The key to your miracle is believing and living it. That's part of the message that gets lost a lot of times. It's about uh, uh, learning the easy way versus learning the things the hard way. But all of this is the precursor to going to the tomb. So here comes Jesus with the whole crew. Everybody is sad because there's this tomb with the big stone in front of it. And there's so much sadness and grief, like you would imagine. You know, this is a funeral, you know. 
And I remember reading this part as a little kid, because I was a weird kid, and I read the Bible when other kids were reading comic books. I read comic books too, but, you know. I remember reading that part where it says when Jesus gets to the tomb and he sees all the people so sad and all the grieving and all of the loss and all of the surrender and all of the, you know, that. The Bible says, Jesus wept, he cried. And, you know, I was a simple kid. I, I grew up with Superman and heroes like that. And I didn't like the idea that somebody bulletproof could also get wounded, so to speak, you know? And I didn't like the idea that, that Jesus would cry at all of this. And I actually read a book when I was younger where somebody wrote, well, it's because this whole thing is hard. This miracle is hard. You know, raising the dead, you can't do it. So, you know, it's tricky, you know, that kind of a thing. And I guess part of me as a kid, because I was facing a lot of hard things that I didn't understand growing up and all that, it was easy to go, okay, well, yeah, it was hard. But I think that diminishes what's really going on there. Because I got to tell you, given what we read in the story, it doesn't look hard, not for him. I don't think it was. Jesus doesn't cry because, he's, because it's hard. It, he cried, he wept because he is real. That this situation is really happening. This is important. And Jesus feels what his family feels. That's, that's what's going on there. He's fully human in this and fully divine in this too. This is the moment Jesus wept because... It's sad. That's all. I think that part of the reason that it's sad is because you get to this place where the, you've taught these people. And Lazarus, like I said, he's read the books, so to speak. He's been to the classes, so to speak. He's in the in crowd, you know? I think that there are times when there's people we love who just have to do it the hard way. And there's some sadness in watching someone go through something that you know they don't have to go through. And that's part of what's going on there, too. But we get to the next moment in the story. Jesus says, remove the stone. You know the deal. They'd roll a big stone in front, you know, that kind of thing to, to seal up the tomb, to prevent gray robbers and yucky stuff and anything in between. Jesus says, remove the stone. And there's a deeper meaning for that. Because it might be that you've attached a lot of things to it going a specific way, that you've attached a lot of things to a specific failure, that your definition, your sense of self, your sense of the situation is tied to a lot of physical things. Well, to the degree that it is, you will not get a solution because you are tied to spiritual things. And that disconnect, I am a spiritual being, and yet my self-esteem and my, my sense of value and my sense of worth and my ability to perceive answers is tied to physical things. Well, that's two different things. Your self-worth doesn't come from the car you drive. You know that, right? It's like that. And so part of remove the stone means you got to get done with the idea that you are defined by materiality, by the physical. 
Remove the stone. We'll talk more about that in a second. But after they remove the stone, the next step in the process is this great prayer. And it's, it's short. I can read you the whole thing. The prayer at Lazarus' tomb is John chapter 11, verses 41 to 42. John chapter 11, 41 to 42. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, but I knew that you always hear me. Nevertheless, because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. That's the whole prayer. God, I know you're here. I've always known you're here. I know you hear me. I've always known you hear me. But some people around here, <clears throat> you can read it that way, kind of sarcastic if you want. But that's a choice. You know, I think that the idea is that this is a teaching moment. But think about the beautiful simplicity of that prayer. And in fact, think about, go back and think about the important prayers that we've seen. Think about the way that Elijah prays when he's having the confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Think about the way that Jonah prays when he's getting done with, getting it, with being in the fish. These prayers and so many others have this idea in common. God, I already know that you're there. I remember God, I know that you're always there. My prayer doesn't make God show up. Because if I believe that, that means I have a small God who can come and go. When my God is the isness and the allness, the beingness of all that is, think about the theological implications of trying to make God show up in your prayer. You have just made a small God. And that's not the prayer of Elijah. And that's not the prayer of Jonah. And it sure ain't the prayer of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you hear me always. That's a big deal. And with that prayer, with that, uh, with that level set, Jesus says in a loud voice, according to the Bible, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Think of it. Think of it as someone who's waiting for something to come back to life in their own story. Think of it. Think about what it must have been like to be back then and grieving over this loss that is not a loss anymore. Think about all of those things in between and decide what you want to have happen. And that might feel like the end of the story, but it's not because Jesus says one more thing that's really important. He says to the people around Loose him and let him go. You got to let Lazarus go. Now, why is that? Is it because Lazarus was cooped up and he wants to run around for a while? Is it because somebody was holding him down? Well, that's not it. It almost seems like, reading it now, it almost seems like a funny thing to say. But remember that what's going on here has to do with Jesus saying, you guys have got to stop seeing him as dead. Because people are only in your life what you will allow them to be in your life. God is only in your life. The, the size of the God that you allow to have happen in your life. When you pray, do you pray for a big God or a small God? 
When you see other people, do you see sinners or do you see saints? Maybe when you're thinking about the people in your life, some of those people are defined by their shortcomings. Well, you got to let them go. Lazarus can't live for you if you see him as dead. You have to let him go. Now think about the Lazaruses in your own life. Are there some that it's time to set free? But let's go back over it real quick. The steps of a miracle. This is important. Step one is when Jesus says, Lazarus is dead. It doesn't seem like a step, but it is. Because the first step is to face the problem. Jesus wept because it's real. The first step is to face the situation. Lazarus is dead. The second step is to roll away the stone. In other words, to unblock the primacy of the material. Maybe you want a prosperity demonstration. You can concentrate on the fact that there ain't no money in the bank all day long. Or you can roll away the stone. Unblock the idea that material is primal. You are not defined by your current situation. That's only where you are now. Where you're going to be has no bearing. Roll away the stone. The third step is Jesus praying. So take prayer into your heart and specifically let your prayer be the prayer of, I know that you hear me. God is here and now. And then Jesus says for the next step, Lazarus comes out. Lazarus come out. You have to declare it in a loud voice. You have to say it. You have to mean it. You have to be it. Embody that prayer that you prayed in the previous step. And then finally, let him go. Just like way at the beginning, that seventh day is the Sabbath where we let it be what it is. Time for you to do some letting go too because we got some living to do. What can you let go today? That's the important thing. So with all that in mind, as I said, all of this is a precursor to what's about to happen next. Um, the next story that we're going to talk about is the Palm Sunday story. Now, you know this one really well. Definitely a Sunday school story, the whole deal. So I can tell the story pretty quickly. Jesus comes into town on a donkey. Now, that's weird, right? Because who rides a donkey? But more than that, because that wasn't his style. You know, Jesus sort of walked everywhere. It was kind of the deal. But we have to remember that this is in accordance with prophecy. There is a prophecy that the Savior is going to come in riding on a donkey. It's interesting, given that Jesus is not really big on tradition, is he? He's not big on formality. This is not a guy that owns a necktie, so to speak. This isn't important. And yet, he takes steps to follow the pattern. Everything he does that day is in accordance with the prophecies that the people who were watching him knew. And if you know the story, you know that what happens is that the people there repeat what they have learned in the scripture of their hearts. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He has set himself up. 
to come in the name of the Lord, to come in God's name. It's easy to, to think about a story like this as some, you know, greatest story ever told kind of movie, a big Cecil B. DeMille kind of a production and all of that. And it's easy to think of it as just a story about Jesus. As wonderful as that story is, beautiful, inspirational, amazing. Uh, I don't have the words, of course, it's amazing. But it's not just that, is it? It can't be just that if we're going to do what Jesus told us to do, and that is to go help people, to go live our best lives, to be who God made us to be. It can't just be a story in the past about somebody in the past. we got to get better about that, right? If this is going to work, if we're going to change things. If God is everywhere, if you are made in the image and after the likeness of God, if whatever is going on is a divine situation, then you have a choice about what you're going to do next with what God has given you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ask yourself in this moment of the things that you're thinking about and working on, whose name do I come in? You know, we talked about Lazarus. We talked about living and believing. Both of them are important, right? Whose name do I come in? You know, I can say a lot of things. I read my Bible. I do the thing. I, I, I'm part of the group. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm paid up. I believe. But if you show up in the name of fear, you know, do you show up for your relationship in the name of fear or jealousy, ego? Do you show up for your job in the name of, of being less than and unworthy? Do you show up in that situation as an unequal partner? Whose name do you come in? Do you do the things you do because you're afraid? Do you do the things you do because you're letting ego take control? Do you do the things you do because you don't want to face an uncomfortable situation? Because I got to tell you, showing up in Jerusalem after Lazarus is an uncomfortable situation. Jesus is good at leaving, right? He disappeared from the crowd and all of that. He's a traveling man. <laughs> but he shows up. Whose name do you come in? What Jesus does, and in fact, the way that people respond, the celebration. Because you know the deal. People were so happy. They were celebrating. Here comes the Savior. They, they call it Palm Sunday because they put palms down to just to make the road as smooth as they could. And when they didn't have palms, they took their coats off and they put down anything they could to make that road smooth and soft and an easy journey. And I got to tell you, that's something you don't have a choice about. If you're writing stuff down, here's the thing to write down. Everything that you say. Everything that you do, everything that you think is preparing the way for something. It's kind of part of your nature. Everything that you say and do and think is preparing the way for something. What are you preparing the way for? Ask yourself, the next time you get bent out of shape about something, what am I preparing the way for here? Interesting. What am I preparing the way for? Because blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everything that Jesus did that day, everything that the people did in terms of their celebration and their joy was in line with prophecies that everybody had read. It's, it's a celebration like we see in 1 Maccabees. It's a celebration like we see in Zechariah and Ezekiel over and over again. We see it. And to bring that up, 
because I want to remind you this Palm Sunday that your life is a prophecy. It's easy to forget that you're a child of God because you got bills. You're sick of the same four walls because of the quarantine. There are things about you you're not happy about. There's growing places. We've all got them. It's easy to forget, I guess, that you're a child of God. But I want to remind you in this moment that you are. And you're not just a child of God because I say you are. You're not even just a child of God because the Bible says you are. You're not even a child of God because Jesus says you are. He does. You're a child of God because in your heart, you know what love is. Even if you're not feeling it in your life right now, in your heart, you know what inspiration is. Even if you can't find it right now, in your heart, you know what beauty is. You know what truth is. You know what honor is. Who put that there? You can have the roughest life imaginable and still you know what love is. God is the author of love and truth and beauty and inspiration and art and honor and nobility and everything else good. He's the one who wrote that on your heart. That's why you feel it. And I'm trying to tell you that your life is a prophecy. All you've got to do is get in line with what you know to be true, with what has always been true in your life, and start walking. Just show up for something. And the beautiful thing is it will work out to the degree that you give yourself to it. Uh, the universe can't help but respond. It's a beautiful thing when you see it. And you've seen it in your life, maybe in small ways, when you've been in the zone, when you got your ego out of the way, when something worked out and it just didn't look by outer appearances like it ought to have. It just did. The tab got paid, you know, that kind of thing. It's a beautiful thing. The authorities didn't like the idea that people were celebrating. They sure didn't like it that they were celebrating Jesus. And they said, can't you shut these people up? Can't we just go back to the things that, the way things were? Can't we just go back to quiet normalcy? Can't we just pretend like none of this happened? Can't we just pretend that this major upset, which is way out of our comfort zones, can't we just, just be nice for a little while? There's the line, Jesus said, I tell you, even if these people were silent, the stones would cry out. The, the fabric of the universe would cry out. The earth itself cries out to, the, to, to witness the presence of God. Now that seems awful dramatic, but think about it. There have been times in your life when there was no other explanation, and there will be more if you let them. So ask yourself, given that the very fabric of the universe is plastic to the will of God, when you align with it, ask yourself, are you a celebrator or are you an inhibitor? What's your next move? Because you know what God wants for you. You know what I want for you. You're watching this video. Maybe you're alone in a room somewhere watching or listening to this, but you're not alone in terms of this greater family of other people who are thinking the same stuff and working on the same stuff right along with you. You know what they want for you. 
But what do you want for you? Tell you what you deserve. You deserve to be free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you for talking about these great moments, these amazing miracles. And thank you for remembering that as we share these stories, we make room for these rebirths, resurrections, miracles, triumphs in our own lives. Thank you for sharing your triumph story. You know, I often at this part of the lesson, I say, you know, keep those questions coming. And I do want you to keep sending you, your, me your questions. But I also love it that a lot of people send me their triumphs. Maybe they don't have a question, but I'll get an email or a text message or something on social media where somebody says, hey, this worked. And I'm loving it. I'm so happy to just cheer you on. Share your successes with other people. Share your growing places with other people too. Share this message. If you hit that share button and share this movie with somebody, it means the world to me. Thank you for your uh, financial support of this ministry as well. And you can give by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's bless those offerings together with our offertory prayer. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is and so it does. In Jesus' name, amen. And as always, I want to remind you that wherever you are, you're not alone. We are a family. You and I and everybody else watching and listening, we are a family. And together, we pray as one. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. And so it is. Amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dieter Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.